Almost 25 to 10 here on RNZ National, and it is time now for Midweek Media Watch. I am joined from the Wellington studio by Media Watch's Colin Peacock. Kia ora to you. Kia ora, Emil, and TYVM for having me. <laughs> YW, Colin, YW. Um, there is only one place to start tonight, and uh, it is, of course, the shock closure of News Hub. Maybe we'll, we'll begin with some audio, actually, uh, because, of course, News Hub at 6 had to report on the news of their own demise this evening. This is Michael Mora uh, recounting how it played out, the meeting in which staff were told this morning. And today an email advising of significant changes. It was sent to staff 48 minutes before they were informed the axe was falling. This is a terrible announcement. There is no sugarcoating it. And I wish I could be standing up here with better news. Warner Brothers Discovery New Zealand boss Glenn Kine made the announcement. I've been very proud to be part of this organisation and part of the newsroom. Um, Nothing prouder, actually. Nothing will ever compare. Um, So this is the most difficult day. So that's how that was reported on Newsub at 6. Uh, the closure announcement was very sudden, Colin. It was, it was unexpected. But was it out of the blue? Yeah, not quite, Emil, because uh, they lost about th- around $35 million last year, that channel. And as everybody knows, there's this mega trend going on that's hard to buck. Uh, the advertising market is softer, so they're competing for um, less money with... Uh, uh, so many players in the market, the costs mm. are going up, inflation and all of that. Um, so we, we know all that. New Zealand outlet uh, here of Discovery Warner Brothers, it's just a branch office really of a large company. So not at all illogical that they would uh, look at that on a balance sheet and see it and think we're not going to uh, wear those costs. And you know, they're saying it's a loss-making operation. They don't want to do that anymore. So some people have been saying maybe a little re- retrospectively there were signs, shows that should have started by now, like the new 7 p.m. show mm-hmm. that replaced the project or hasn't, you know, ha- hasn't showed up and that maybe uh, these were pointers to what was going to happen or some in- indecision that's now been solidified into this quite decisive um, decision. But I-, I was on 9 to noon this morning with Mark Jennings, the former TV3 News Chief, mm. and he knows all that stuff backwards and forwards about, about the media and the current conditions, but he was still shocked that they had not gone for some sort of incremental uh, slicing back or rolling back, that they'd taken this this pretty definitive uh, step of pushing the button completely. And uh, yeah, so he, he said he was shocked, and um, you could hear that Glenn Klein, the chief executive, in that bit of audio there from Michael Mora interviewing him, he was Emotional, he had yeah. tears in his eyes. So you know that uh, that has clearly hit him, him too. You you you're, you talk about the finality of this, but it is at this stage still being described as a, a proposal. But is that mm. just corporate speak for you know this is it's going to happen? It's, it's certain as gravity. We just don't want to say that out loud at this point in time. Well, that is the playbook, and there are reasons for that. It's modern HR practice, isn't it? Right. You give your employees the opportunity uh, to say so, so they can't say they've been you know dismissed unfairly or something. And you know there is some element of if there was a white knight out there or someone who was minded to uh, either swoop in for an opportunity or or whatever, someone who's got a bright idea, uh, then, you know, that would flush them out. But, you know, it's a checkpoint this afternoon where Glenn Kine was interviewed and on uh, News Talk ZB, uh, they spoke to Jamie Gibbon, um, the uh, Singapore-based Asia-Pacific chief executive. Both those guys you know, made it clear that they've been thinking about this since January, and a decision was probably taken a couple of weeks ago. So yes, they have to say it's a proposal, um, because that's the way it's done. And that also means, 
you know, journalistically, it's a bit awkward because it means that the people at the heart of this mm-hmm. can't really say a whole lot because, you know, they've got to, I guess, negotiate in good faith, deal in good faith with their own employers as well. So at the point where you want to be able to talk to them and find out things and, you know, create content out of it to be a bit <laughs> crude, you know, it's it's a next to impossible uh, done that way. Now, what, Colin, will this mean for viewers? Because it, it is we're talking about News Hub here as opposed to TV3. The channel itself is, is not being closed down, to the best of your understanding? No, and neither of the other ones that are part of the companies, Eden, Bravo, etc., there's quite a few. Even on the on the 3 Now app, the streaming app, there are ones that aren't on actual broadcast linear television. There are a whole range of channels there. So they'll all go on, you imagine, Um but they have said that they now intend to be sort of digitally focused uh, and they're going to put much more stock on that 3Now streaming app and operation, which they beefed up in the later part of last year. It had been a bit uh, clunky and lacking content mm. before that. They put a lot into that. Um, but for viewers, yeah, that means there'll be that TV3 channel, which is 30-plus years of history behind it, um, and it will have no, almost certainly no news on it, save for maybe that News Hub Nation show, for example, which is mm. entirely funded by New Zealand on air from the public purse, so maybe they'll get that on. Um, so that that's the thing. But also uh, another little knock-on effect, uh, one of the other free-to-air channels, the former Prime channel, now called Sky Open, they took a 5.30 news bulletin produced... Uh, by News Hub with mm-hmm. same of the same, some of the same content you'd see in News Hub at six. So that now won't be going on. I don't know what they'll put in its place, if anything. So, yes, just less news all round. And it means that, you know, as has been pointed out by others uh, today, viewers clearly lose choice because if you want a sort of 6 p.m. evening news type of bulletin uh, and a 7 p.m. discussion or current affairs-y type show to follow, TV One's now your only game in town, or, or will be TVNZ One, I should say. I, I've seen I've seen a lot of that around. You know, the idea that um, a lot of that sort of comment that this leaves a virtual TV news monopoly with a crown-owned uh, TVNZ and One News. D- does it really, though? You know, every media company does video content now. There is a massive emphasis on it. Six PM definitely is not the eminent, you know, source of news that it once was in the pre-internet times. Do you think, I don't know, is it... Yeah, no, that's, do you that's know what a, I mean? Yes, yeah. absolutely, and that's a point being made. For example, uh, Simon Barnett's show on News Talk ZB this afternoon, he asked the question, do you value news? Do you watch it? Are you interested? And lots of people rang and said, oh, I'm, you know, I'm of that older TV-watching demographic, um, and they would often give their age and say, you know, I don't watch at 6pm anymore. I got, I get the, I can get the BBC off the sky, uh, or some, yeah, quite a few said, you know, I, I get Al Jazeera, watch that, which is available on Freeview as well for nothing. Well, indeed, uh, the broadcasting minister said well, um, there are options like <laughs> Sky News, didn't, didn't she? Yeah, she did, but that's, of course, you've got to pay for that. And you're not going to get New Zealand news from, from no. that. And that that is the point. So, for example, it also means if you, I mean, whether TVNZ's crown-owned, I mean, there's, you know, points to be made about the desirability or otherwise of that. But mm. the fact is, if there's only one with a professional reporting team, one, say, team in the parliamentary press gallery, you know, the danger... And this came up, do you remember when uh, stuff... And NZME tried to merge. And they pressed very, very hard with that saying, journalists, we need runway to to keep journalism alive. And one way to do it is to build this thing of scale. And the Commerce Commission and others submitting, uh, it was only part of the reason that the Commerce Commission didn't um, greenlight that merge or allow it to progress, 
was people saying you know you, the dangers of kind of groupthink if you have one team of journalists with one editor uh, mm. what if you have a bad editor um, or or just you know, one who's um, not paying attention whatever you have a substandard team every everyone will suffer so as has been pointed out at least you have two say teams of television journalists in the gallery but of course you're quite right there are other outlets and these days everybody's crossing over reporting um, online but you know we have limitless options online very few are doing you know what I call professional uh, standards-based and accountable journalism with an editor looking over their shoulders. All sorts of places you can go for news and information online and video at 6pm or whatever time of the day you want it. But if you're talking about uh, a structure, a, a team, and you know, and high-quality production, because when you watch a budget TV news production, say, for example, when that outfit GB News got going mm. in the UK, I mean, technically, it just looked awful yeah. never mind the content i mean it's a whole other thing but a tough start, it looked it? Yeah. so bad and that's when people said actually to do this right you know sure diversity of voices whatever but to do this right and to make it look good uh, and and slick and all those things do matter to people because it's part of the presentation that makes them pay attention that is hard to do it's costly and uh, you know the cost of it is you know at the heart of the matter here for uh, news hub and uh, warner brothers discovery Plenty of people have a lot of sympathy here for the folks at News Hub. Plenty, as, as you'd imagine, uh, don't. Uh, I'm seeing a lot of uh, people saying things along the lines of, you know, clearly they didn't have enough of a point of difference. Uh, they didn't give people enough reason to choose them. They've been around for 35-odd years, three news and then News Hub. Um, that point of difference comment, I, I find that quite interesting. What do you reckon? Do you think that's true? Because I, I always I, thought... I think less so than it used to be. You, it, right. it did used to be that you could line up those two bulletins and they would feel very similar. Oh. You know, you'd have 10 minutes of stuff and then the last item would be either something international or something a bit light to carry you into the... They did feel like they had a similar, I don't know what the word is, cadence or something mm. along those lines. And the, the story selection and the international stuff were always being a lot of US and Anglo type news so in that sense they didn't feel all that different however when it comes to different interpretations different presentations of political news political stories that's where the competition came into play you know like for the the political teams you remember there was a time where news hub was clearly being favored in their political journalists for leaks because yeah. they could get good mileage out of them and that created a bit of a different style whether you liked it or not and then if you didn't you had the choice and you know news hub and some of its journalists are aware that that's not everybody's cup of tea in fact john campbell i remember him saying that you know that he was aware that there were people who would just never ever ever watch tv3 when he was on it at 7 p.m because you know they just didn't and set in there and he knew that and that was just one of those things you had you know you had choice and, and again uh, almost you know my previous answer but two professional teams doing things you know in a, in a proper way um for you know, modern professional television, uh, I think it does make a difference uh, and people do have a choice. And, you know, although audiences are falling, you add it up, there's still hundreds of thousands of New Zealanders watching, you know, in those in, in those hours, albeit that it's not quite what it was if you go back to, what, mid-2000s when they were really, really competing in that time space. You know, they had Prime TV even poaching Paul Holmes to put him on at 7 mm. and Alison Moore. And Campbell Live launched by uh, the then TV3 at 7 and, you know, the Holmes or later Mark Sainsbury show. Yeah. That was really vigorously competed. So within less than 20 years, that audience habit has waned. But, you know, it's still there and it, um, it still even has an influence on news agenda setting and the rest of it beyond the time when people are actually watching in those um, those early evening hours. Uh, another observation uh, I'm I'm hearing a lot of 
uh, from Winston Peters, who said some really interesting things today, actually. Uh, and I also saw the ZB Plus editor, Philip Crump, saying this, that you know the news media has lost substantial public trust. And when trust is the currency you trade in, that essentially you trade in for actual you know dollars and cents, this sort of thing is inevitable. What do you make of that perspective? Yeah, I know what he's saying, but uh, and plenty of people say it, and that you know, the media have a bit of a blind spot when it comes to the fact that you know they think they deserve people's trust and respect, and uh, maybe they're not aware that other people feel uh, the opposite. So maybe there's something to be said for that. But that term trust, I find a bit weird because, you know, there's always a cynicism and there has been even before we had this sort of theories about this crisis in, in trust and people really turning against media or some people and, and being suspicious and cynical. Um, you know, the journalists and politicians always, right, when asked the sort of leading question, do you trust these people? Well, politicians, nah, a bunch of liars. Same with media because, you know, they thought they're all tabloid creatures or whatever. I think a better question to ask people is not do you trust um, the media, because that almost <laughs> invites you to it's question a binary, whether yeah. You, yeah, but to ask whether you value it. And for example, when TVNZ had a charter um, set up by a, a former, another intervention by a previous Labour government, part of that was they had to survey the audience and the, the responses published in the annual reports would often ask that people, do you value news and current affairs? Do you watch it? And people were saying, yes, I do, even if I don't. So yeah, people were aware, well, back then anyway, would would return that response. So I think people would realise they, they, they do. And when people say they don't trust it, it's a generational thing too. Maybe people who are perhaps some who are older now think and see journalists are younger and maybe Mm. Uh, speaking in ways that are a bit liberal or that they suspect they have a bias or whatever. But even if you th- if trust is the question, even if you think that they've got blind spots and biases when they're operating in a professional news organisation that has standards internally and is, is accountable to standards uh, and regulators and a complaints process outside of that, aren't you going to trust that a lot more than you would trust a... You know, a, st- a startup operation that's pretty much doing what it wants and uh, trying to deliver an alternative point of view. I think that's a really interesting point because you know, someone might say, "Well, there's been a lot of chat about you know plurality of media sources and the importance of having a diverse media landscape and so on and so forth." But people might viably say, "You know, well, 2024, we've all we've already got way more media sources than we've ever had before, given we are in the age of social media. Everybody is potentially their own news media." Source. They are everywhere on Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram, on on TikTok. But what you seem to be talking about there is is the idea that it's different if you are a media organisation that has editorial standards, guidelines, something like uh, News Hub that is that is entirely separate from somebody posting news and current affairs content on their TikTok. That's right. I mean, even if you don't like the style, you know, you know that you you know you can be assured that uh, a mainstream media organisation is, um, you know, it does have a complaints process and is accountable to a certain set of standards. I think so. It depends. Yeah, all those other outlets that you mentioned that people do have the choice of, or even to like the the uh, people on the radio today who were saying, well, I prefer to watch the BBC and Al Jazeera. Well, fine, but that's the thing. What are you watching it for? You're certainly not watching that to get a reliable 
piece of information or account of something that's happened in the country where you live mm. by someone who, if they're making it up or doing a bad job, will be found out, you know, and uh, mm. their organisation and their editor will have to answer for it. So I think that's the difference. I mean, what are you using it for? I mean, if you want to hear things you agree with, if you want to hear points of view, then you certainly have that option. But when it comes to it and you need a piece of information, you know, that might be critical in an emergency or a financial question, something like that, if you want to believe in it, um, I think there are a lot of outlets that people might gravitate to and feel they want to listen to that as a source of news, information or entertainment. But in the end, they may not believe it any more than they, you know, they think they would any other source. So taking a step back then and looking at the wider landscape in, in New Zealand now, kind of feels like New Zealand's in a weird position. One channel doing local TV news reporting, which is a Crown-owned entity. Um, we have relatively few newspapers for a country of our size, relatively little competition in the talk radio space. Or do we? I mean, how, how do we compare to other similar-sized countries when it comes to the, the number of voices and outlets. Well, the argument made by people like, for example, Michael Anderson, the former chief executive of the former Media Works, which used to incorporate uh, News Hub and the TV Channel 3, uh, he's argued for one that the former TVNZ chief executive, Kevin Kenrick, was another, saying we have almost the same number of players nationally uh, there as Australia, um, which obviously has a population, what, between four and five times mm. the size of ours. So there are too many and that there would have to be a reckoning. So, you know, they might be thinking today uh, told you so because instead of these incremental cuts, you're going to get something big, which is appeared to, appears to be the decision uh, taken today if it's if it's progressed through. So that's certainly true. But, yeah, we are in a way, you're right. So the talk radio era, for example, uh, MediaWorks last year shutting down Today FM. Mm. And if you want to listen to talk radio and, and you, you've, you've obviously got the choice of RNZ in the non-commercial space, but if you want something more like a talk radio with uh, opinions and interjections, panel discussions and all that sort of thing rather than just hard news, that's gone. And it's mm. going to be the same now uh, for people who do like to watch a television news bulletin and a current affairs show between the hours of 6 and 7.30 if, if things play out as we think they will. At um, at Discovery Warners, so yeah, I think I think that's right. I think we are in a weird position, but doubly weird, and that we've also got, say, Fakata Māori, a channel that's mm-hmm. not very widely watched, but is uh, and, and not hugely resourced by the standards of say TVNZ, but it does it does have a, a credible budget. That's that's there, and we still have a government putting a lot of money, um, upwards of a quarter of a billion a year into media content and broadcasting and media of all forms. And, mm. yeah, it is weird now. We've got a, still got a Crown-owned but fully commercial TV operator, a small public service organisation in RNZ. Both of those organisations, yes, uh, Crown-owned, state-owned, both doing their own thing online in their own little way. It is it is a weird mix. You wouldn't design it that way for sure. Indeed. And you, you're quite right to point out for Kata Māori there, uh, I should have said two news uh, channels doing local news. Mm. Earlier on, so apologies for that. Um, final question on this, Colin, before we move on. Um, I mean, will the government get involved here? Should the government get involved here? Doubtlessly, there will be pressure. Yeah, well, that's already come up. As you mentioned, uh, Melissa Lee has had to, to make some comment, and that hasn't gone down well with some people. But um, she did say she didn't support that fair new digital news bargaining bill that came up that was discussed in the last couple of weeks at a big select committee. That's something the media companies really want because that would give them a stream of revenue that they say they desperately need. But the, the I think national governments in, in, in 
this millennium have been hands off. That's their instinct, is not to meddle in the market, to let it prey. A bit of creative destruction, well, that's the market at work. And if they're supplying uh, some public money for local content via New Zealand on air, then they're broadly happy with that. Christopher Luxon, the Prime Minister, has also said, look, it's unlikely. And he's talked about, look, you know, we need a well-functioning media environment here in New Zealand. That's his words. We have a range of media voices, a plurality of voices in a multimedia, omni-channel kind of way, and that will continue to develop. So he said, you know, the, the media companies just have to innovate and uh, adapt. Um, you know, they're saying, look, it's impossible because the market's such a mess and the, the tech giants take all the revenue we used to depend upon. Uh, and it's not a level playing field. So I think they're stuck in that position. I don't think the government is going to want to give itself the problem of getting involved in this. But, you know, they 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 possibly are, even if they don't want to be, because they're going to have to make a decision, for example, on that um, that fair uh, digital news bargaining mm. bill uh, coming up shortly. And like I just mentioned, they are in control of a whole bunch of money or supplying it that goes into the, the media ecosystem. And as we're finding out, even established media companies are not viable when it comes to the important area of um, news and information. Well, yeah, and, and I guess the financial... Sorry, I just said last question, but this is the last question, <laughs> I promise. But, you know, the, the financial viability of the sector, cl- clearly a lot of this is the media's fault in, in maybe not responding to the challenges, the, the financial challenges that technology will pose to the business model of, you know, advertising. But uh, are there other big media companies in New Zealand that are in financial trouble that we know of? It's it's hard to know because if they're private, they don't have to release yeah. all their information. But of course, like companies like NZME that are listed, uh, you know, they have to tell their investors. So we're just in the middle of that sort of results season now. And we could see that their ad revenue was dropping. They've done well with their subscriber product, their premium content and, and so on, um, online digital subscriptions. But it's not making up the shortfall in the advertising. They had to admit that. Uh, but that's still... Uh, looks to be a going concern. I mean, stuff has been um, feel that unfairly uh, targeted by worry merchants saying, "Oh, the bottom must be falling out of this business." They insist it isn't, but you know we don't know the insides of of, uh, of their finances. So I, I don't know. But I mean, that, that, like I said before, that mega trend is very hard to buck. And like where you said, they haven't done a great job of adapting to technology. Well, I mean, they would argue that they have. They've changed their products, the way mm. they work. And for all those years, they put it up online for free to get a big audience, and then found that wasn't uh, returning them uh, a whole lot. So. Um, yeah, I, I, that, that's where, you know, there, there might come a point where the government does have to say much. If they're going to say, yeah, news is important for democracy and basically saying on this day that this decision looks like it's going to go ahead, that it's a, a bad news for the country, if news hub television journalism disappears, well, you know, that does perhaps push them in the direction of having to develop a, a bit of policy or response that might be a bit more meaningful mm-hmm. than just saying that. Um, about three minutes left, so let's talk football and technology, because <laughs> yeah. uh, you heard something in a football podcast that, that alarmed you, Colin. Yeah, well, I wonder if you might have heard it too. So um, this is the, the, the Totally Football Show, which is part of The Athletic and a big podcast and subscriber-based empire. Um, they are now sponsored by Google Pixel cameras and technology, and they've been running ads that say they use it to fix their reports by screening out distracting fan noise from pitch side reports and um, here's how they promote it on the podcast everything you're about to hear has been recorded using google pixels audio magic eraser tool that means that instead of our journalists audio being drowned out by the crowd 
the audio sounds just the way the journalist you're about to hear wants you to. You'll hear them loud and clear thanks to Audio Magic Eraser removing distracting sounds in Beyond the Frame. <laughs> it's a bit creepy, isn't it? Is it? I don't know. What do you think? Well, yeah, is like, is it ethical to take out the sound? I don't think it is. Um, uh, isn't because I'm I love that bit where you hear some oik in the crowd, uh, yeah. you know, swearing or like you know, bellowing and can't be screened out by those pitch side it's microphones. Great. So I think you know they're saying, of course, you know, when we record something, you know, sound engineers will screen out. They'll use EQ because you want people to be able to hear it. But when you're at a live event and that's happening, that's part of the atmosphere. I think that's I think that's a bit wrong, and it seems a bit weird for me for for an organisation. Um, that reports on sport to be saying, ah, we can we can get rid of the people um, who are presumably the same audience they want to attract to their podcast. Mm. So we don't like the noise you make because it drowns out our, our reporters. I think they just have to shout louder and keep the oiky crowd crowd noise. It's amazing what technology can let you do now, though, isn't it? Like I, I remember I sent you a clip from the Super Bowl halftime show of Alicia Keys yeah. performing, and 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 in the live performance, her voice cracks on the first note, and it's actually quite beautiful, I think, because it you know it emphasises the liveness of the performance. But in the NFL's um, Instagram video of it, they've fixed it so it sounds perfect, and I, I didn't like that at all. Yeah, and they didn't they go around trying to scrub the YouTube videos of yeah. the original version, like awful. And presumably that's a AI-driven or something like it kind of intervention. Don't like that. But also, you know, you've bear some responsibility because your side Arsenal is yeah. hawking this Google Pixel technology. I'm afraid they're, yeah. they're sponsored by it, and their players are promoting it. So yeah. I want Look, you to take some action on this. I'll, I'll write them a strongly worded letter, I can assure you, Colin. Don't, Don't you worry about nothing it. less. <laughs> Colin Peacock, uh, always a joy to have you on for Midweek Media Watch. Thanks very much. Thanks a lot, and speak to you in a fortnight.